Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. This week, Belinda Lane shares with us a message titled, Do I Like How I Think? We pray God speaks to you through this message in his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. Okay, so I just want to ask, I'm going to start off asking a question. Well, first off, I want to let you know who's here with me today because I will actually reference one of them in a minute. But my husband, Todd, he is a pastor at Gateway Church, if you're familiar with Gateway Church, and he's one of the pastors there. And then we actually have three children, but my 16-year-old has a job, a J-O-B. <laughs> and she is working at Gateway Church this morning for her job, and so she cannot be with us this morning. Uh, gainfully employed is always good. And then Harrison, our 14-year-old, wave your little hand there, yep. And he will be getting a job soon as well. And then... <laughs> This is, when, this is the place I thought I would let him know that, safe place. And then Evelyn is our 11-year-old, our little caboose of the family and precious to us. Okay, so that's who's here today. But I want to ask you, I, I want to get a feel for who's in the congregation with me today. If you have ever, I'm just going to want to see a show of hands, if you have ever, any of the following, um, had a bad day, suffered any sort of affliction, infirmity, if you have ever had anything bad happen to you, if you have ever been felt a, a remote sadness in your life, if you have ever, can I, I'll stop there. Can I see a show of hands if that is any of you? Okay, I just needed to know if I was in a room of humans or not, because this would be a, a common thing, so I'm glad to know that. So I want to tell you the, the title of my message today is, Do I Like How I Think? So I want to play off of last week's sermon. We're in the Heart Murmur series, and I'm so grateful that I got to be a part of this series where he talked about the heart transplant the first week. And then last week was, do I like who I, who can remember, who was here? Do I like who I see? And that was a lot about tying into water baptism, but about how God, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so today we're, we're moving into that same a thought process, do I like how I think? Okay, and we're going to be talking about what does it look like to have the mind of Christ and really in the sense of through suffering and hard times because I think we've all had them. So I want to tell you recently of a story, and, and while I'm telling, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we're going to be in both of those books today. Um, but as I, before I go into the story, I just want to say to you, I believe uh, one of the things the Holy Spirit put on my heart today is to begin my teaching from this point of view. After asking you if any of you have ever had something hard in your life, I want to say, uh, ask the Holy Spirit right now to begin reminding you or bringing up something that you might have brought into this service that you're carrying that maybe you didn't realize you were carrying. Maybe it's so much in front of your face, you can't see anything else. Some of you, maybe all of you, have brought something into this service. And I want to ask you, what if today I told you by the end of the service you could leave that here? What if by the end of this service, I call, what I call it is, I call it the end is near. I'm not, and I'm not preaching an end of the times series, but that would be really awesome, right, for me to tell you as you've come here that the end is near. I think the end may be near, who knows? I'm not here to say that, but I'm saying the end is near today for this thing. I believe the Holy Spirit will begin to quicken something in you as I'm teaching about that, that burden, that 
unforgiveness, that bitterness, that hardship, that hurt, whatever it is that you brought in today. And I want you to just begin, as I begin teaching, preparing your heart that maybe today you could leave that here. Okay? So just be thinking of that as I'm teaching. So I want to tell you about uh, a situation that we've been in since August 1st. So on August 1st, uh, that was a Tuesday morning, I got a phone call from one of my very dearest friends in the whole world, panicked on the other, fo- on the other line. Uh, and she began to tell me how they woke up that morning at 8 a.m. and their 19-year-old daughter had died in her sleep. Healthy by all accounts. Even a month and a half later, they don't have a lot of answers as to what happened. They were with her the night before. She was full of life, on fire for the Lord, had just gotten back from uh, being a counselor at church camp. They said goodnight that night. She lived at home with them. She was just about to start college, goes to sleep, doesn't wake up. And so for a month and a half, I have sat next to my friend Mostly in weeping and silence, not having much to offer her. She doesn't know why. She doesn't know how. And this is a a woman rooted deeply in her relationship with Christ. And the most unimaginable, unfathomable, unfathomable thing has happened to her and her husband. And this is where I've been for the last month and a half, walking with her daily, trying to find Something, some way to comfort a grieving mother. And it has stirred in me the understanding that this life is hard. This life can be really hard. What I know, though, is God is faithful. God is trustworthy. So I need to figure out how can I really believe that through something like this. I know that all of Sarah's life, that was her name, was marked for his glory, but it feels cut too short. So in the last month and a half, I've been asking God, how do we do this? How do I be the friend I need to be? How do we do this? How do we walk through this tragedy with this family? And as I began praying and asking the Lord to put it on my heart, how to be the friend to her that I need to be, I just kept hearing Just love her like I would love her. Just think like I would think. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to do that, I need to make sure I understand what does that mean. So I began thinking of things in scriptures I had heard. And, oh, I know Paul and Corinthians would talk about having the mind of Christ. What does that mean? So if you would turn to 1 Corinthians, I'm going to tell you what, what he says it means to have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 16. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. How many times have we tried to comfort in our own human wisdom and we say the wrong thing? Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. They can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others, they meaning the non-believers. 
For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach them? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. The word understand there is a Greek word, oida, which means to know or to see intimately and to experience intimately what God has given to us. So that last phrase says, but we intimately experience what God has given to us, for we have the mind of Christ. Intimately experience what God has given to us. We have such an advantage on this earth when we live and walk with the mind of Christ. And in this Heart Murmur series, you are going to find how connected the heart and the mind are. How it, what it means to, to understand that we get the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to indwell us and give us insight into life that maybe others would never have. So then I began thinking, okay, so this was Paul writing. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, so just kind of thinking out loud here, I guess to have the mind of Christ, it must mean the people who really can be that insightful and who can really understand that kind of spiritual depth, it must be that they don't have the baggage of hurt in their life, right? It must mean that their life is pretty perfect. They don't have the hurt. They don't have the sorrow. They don't have the, any of the bitterness, right? They wouldn't be able to carry that baggage along with them and walk with the mind of Christ, right? There's... There's got to be uh, uh, an availability only to those people whose life is seemingly perfect, right? And then I remembered, oh, yeah, this was Paul who wrote this. Anybody know about Paul's life? I wouldn't say it was easy by any measure. Paul, pretty much in the New Testament, suffered besides Christ more than anyone in the New Testament. He is responsible for writing a good portion of the New Testament, if you are not familiar with Paul. Paul was formerly Saul, who persecuted Christians most of his life. He's really responsible for the stoning of Stephen and uh, was just really um, a complete adversary to anybody who was uh, believing in Jesus at the time. And on the road to Damascus, are you familiar with this? Uh, the Lord met him and through a man named Ananias. He, he gave his life to the Lord and began an entire life of, of evangelism, how we would even know it today. In fact, um, he was one of the first ones, we have a lot to thank him for, he was one of the first ones who began believing that this message of salvation was for the Jew and the Gentile. So we're so thankful for what he did to give his life for the cause of Christ. But I want to tell you how nice and easy his life was. Um, it says here in 2 Corinthians 11, Going into Paul's life, it says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Ends up being 195 lashes he received. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the labored, or in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. Would you say he's ever been in danger? I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. 
I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. He doesn't say this, but he also endured snake bites and the betrayal of friends. This man knew suffering. This man knew pain. Yet he told us to have the mind of Christ. See, having the mind of Christ does not mean that we get to know all that Christ knows. Having the mind of Christ means that all that we know is from Christ. Okay, I'll say that again. Having the mind of Christ does not mean that we get to know all that Christ knows. Trust me, if I could know all that Christ knows, I would really understand why a parent ever has to bury a child. There's a lot of things I may not know and understand this side of heaven, but what I do know is from Christ. And that's a gift. It's a significant gift to understand that we can walk in this life with the hurt and the hardship knowing that we can have Christ's mind in these situations. What I think is so amazing about Paul is his suffering in many ways motivated him. His suffering motivated him. And there's a friction here because this is what I want to ask you. Are you able to see the affliction or or the adversity that you're suffering, are you able to see that in light of kingdom contribution? Now, see, the friction there is I can't look at my friend a month and a half into losing her daughter and speak about kingdom contribution to her. I can't look at her and say, you know what, though? If one person is saved through this, then it was worth it. That's almost offensive to her. So we have to understand As believers, we are called to get in the trenches with the hurting. We are called to be there in the hurt and in the dirty and in the the yuck with them. When they ask the tough questions and when they say the tough things. And so some of you may be there. When I asked you to be thinking about that thing that you've brought in here, it may just be a sore that is still too, too open of a wound to touch. Just like this, I wouldn't be able to say to my friend, can you think of this adversity in light of kingdom contribution? Can I say to you that you're either um, an overcomer or you're being overcome? I can't say that right now to her. But what I can say is there are a few of you in this room where you've held on a little too long. You've had a bitterness, an unforgiveness. You've had a hurt or a wound that has multiple times maybe been opened and scabbed over, opened and scabbed over, and I'm telling you today... I'm telling you today, could you, could you be one of the ones that ask yourself, could I, instead of holding on to this suffering, instead of holding on to this bitterness, could I be one that is now ready to see this adversity in light of my kingdom contribution? Could I now say I'm willing to let it go, to leave it at the altar, and from here on out, I'm using that. As being an overcomer, I am using that to proclaim the gospel of Christ and to to say what God has done in my life. Am I willing to do that? So I'm I'm giving permission here for those where you're not quite ready. It's okay. But I do believe what Paul teaches us when we have the mind of Christ, that there is a time in all of our lives that we can use the suffering and be motivated for that to be our kingdom contribution. Because if anybody understood suffering, it was Paul. 
That's why I love the Word of God. See, it is when it says it's living and active, this is what I want you to understand. It means that you can look at our friend Paul, our brother in Christ, and say what happened in his life and how he navigated his suffering for the cause of Christ. I today in 2017 can do the same thing. I can use his life to bolster confidence that if I trust God with all that I am, even when I don't understand why the hurt had to come, then I can be a part of changing the world for Christ. These are things that Paul said in his suffering. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. In his suffering, he said that. He also said in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope and peace fill you with all joy as you trust in him, that you may overflow with joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy in the midst of suffering? Are you kidding? But he was suffering when he said that. So what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? I need you to know that there's kind of three things For you to to walk and live with the mind of Christ, there's three things that you have to know. First and foremost, it is divine supernatural to have the mind of Christ. It is a divine gift. You can't conjure that up and and be able to, it even said in the scripture, those who, who are not of the spirit, they don't get this gift. So it is divine, the mind of Christ. Second, you must be born again. You must be born again to have the mind of Christ. Salvation is the open door to receiving this. And third, it's a sign of God's love toward us that we can be given the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to come upon us. See, the indwelling in us is that the Holy Spirit can come and and can inwardly clean out all of that yuck in our lives. But it's also to come upon us because Uh, It's not just for us, but it's for the outward work of spreading the gospel. See, uh, to seek and save the lost was Christ's number one mission. And so when we have the mind of Christ, we cannot forget that it's not all just for us to be poured into and for the Holy Spirit to heal those parts of us. It's always for an outward work. It's always for an outward work. You get the mind of Christ by letting the Holy Spirit guide you and by meditating on God's word. This right here, you have to meditate on his word. To know it and to understand it It, and to understand how applicable it can be. It's not a book that was written thousands of years ago that only applied then. It is alive and active today. The Spirit resides and creates supernatural thoughts of our hearts and produces supernatural actions in our lives. Let me say that again. The Spirit resides and creates supernatural thoughts of our hearts. Okay, so what that means is talking about heart murmurs, this is the process of our heart becoming healthy. Okay, so the Spirit resides and now does a work in our heart and then produces supernatural actions in our life. Okay? So he comes in and he does a supernatural work in our heart. And that's be, so therefore we can have supernatural actions in our lives. So when we walk around and we have hurt because we all raised our hands that we did and we have all had sorrow. But we walk around differently and we look different than the rest of the world. 
That's the Holy Spirit in us. That's the mind of Christ operating in and through us, changing our heart, therefore changing our actions. I have to tell you, if as believers on this earth, we don't look any different than the one suffering without the Lord, something's wrong. We have to look different. It does not mean we are free from struggle. It does not mean we are free from hurt or sorrow. But it means that when it comes upon us, we look different in how we walk it out. And we can only do that by having the mind of Christ. It goes against what seems natural or secular. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what God's will is, His perfect and pleasing and good will. See, we have to renew our mind. Our heart and our mind are so interconnected that if we do not have a renewed mind, it is going to be easy to fall and conform to the pattern of this world. Why do you think we have one of the highest suicide rates ever right now? Because people don't understand what renewing their mind is. And so they fall into the conforming to the pattern of the world, which basically is dark and depressed and oppressed. So when it says conform to the pattern, see, that is such an outward action. To conform to something is outward. But when it says transform, that's from the inside out. And the only thing that transforms us from the inside out is the Spirit of God in our lives. That's it. So when we are looking in the natural to try to appease all the things in our life and we just try to conform to the pattern of the world and to what is the biggest trend at that time or whatever they're saying is the best health thing at that time because we're trying to conform it because we just need to be happy, nothing will do it until we are transformed from the inside out. And only Jesus Christ can do that. Only Jesus can do that. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians. So when the enemy says to you, no, 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 that offense was too big. You can't let that go. You make that obedient to Christ. You take it captive. When it says, oh, no, 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 that betrayal was too hard, or you'll never be able to forgive, or that abuse was too much, or he left you and so you'll never be the same, you take every thought captive and you make it obedient to Christ. I am a child of God, and I am transformed from the inside out, and I do not have to live in oppression or depression. So I have my sweet Evelyn with me. She's 11, and Evelyn went through a little, she's, she told me I could tell this story, by the way. She went through a phase where she was very afraid of storms, any kind of storm. If there was lightning outside, thunder, she just became very afraid. And the idea of tornadoes in this area got her very afraid. Anytime we've had to go into a closet or anything like that, this has just created fear in her. And, and it was kind of fear that would reside, we found, even when there were no storms, storms around. She would be asking questions about storms. And I thought, you know, Lord, only you're going to be able to help her in this fear. So one day we're at the table talking, and in her sweet little way, she said, Mom, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, I just need to know, has there ever been a time that somebody has been swooped up into a tornado and tossed around and thrown out and survived. This is how her brain was thinking. 
And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to answer this question, but okay. And so I said, because I don't know all the statistics, I said, I bet there's a story of someone being swooped up in a tornado and thrown out. I'm sure, has anybody ever heard? Somebody, I'm sure, is, somebody has survived that. And I felt, I felt sure to say that in the history of time, maybe somebody has survived that. So I said, you know, honey, I'm sure somebody has survived that, but it wouldn't be likely. She said, you know what, Mom? If I am ever taken up into a tornado and ever being swished around in the tornado, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, Evelyn, breathe in, breathe out. I'm not going to let this get to me. And I thought to myself, if only in our world and the things that we suffer, the things brought to us, if we could say, Belinda, breathe in, breathe out. I'm not going to let this get to me. If we could walk with that kind of confidence that we have a God that is stronger, we have a God that is mightier, we have a God that is trustworthy, we have a God that is faithful, all we have to do is breathe in, breathe out. I am not going to let this get to me. Don't hold our offenses so tight. Don't hold our hurts so tight. Understand that this is momentary affliction. We have an eternity that we get to spend with our Savior in perfection. So we can have the mind of Christ by the Holy Spirit living in us if we are willing. But I need to ask you, what does that mean to you? Because this is what came to me in that. It means one of two things. It either means that you are living the way of the cross or the cross is just in the way. Okay, what would it mean to live the way of the cross? Well, then I have to evaluate how did Jesus live. On the way to the cross, how did he live? He lived in surrender. He lived in obedience he lived serving those who would betray him. He lived in forgiveness, forgiving those who betrayed him. He lived dying to flesh, obedience unto death. This, was what it would, this is what it would look like if we lived the way of the cross in our life, that we would surrender it all. And then it makes me ask, so what does it look like to live when the cross is in the way? Well, we live for ourselves. We take pride in our carnal reasoning. We do it the way we want, when we want, how we want. We don't want to submit. We don't want to forgive. We don't want to let go. And we have to choose because we cannot live with the mind of Christ if we just see that the cross is in the way of us really living the way we just want to live. It takes surrender, obedience, submission. And most of all, it takes radical love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would die for his friends. It's all about the radical love of Jesus. The thread of love in the scripture from beginning to end, where he is always trying to capture our hearts and clearly our minds. So, probably wondering what this is doing up here. 
Can anybody tell me what this box is full of? Legos. So these things represent ingenuity, creativity, hours of entertainment, right? I mean, it's just we, who, who has a Lego somewhere in their house? Yes, or have ever played with a Lego in any way. These are incredible, innovative things, right? But I want to show you today how very little it takes in my life, and I wish I were kidding, how very little it takes in my life for me to almost lose my religion. (laughs) This, This little guy right here is all the hardship it takes for me to think that my life is not worth living. When in three in the morning... I am called to a child's bedroom in the dark, barefoot. And this little sucker right here (laughs) reveals to me the darkness of my heart. (laughs) This little guy here is responsible for revealing that I am all talk and maybe no substance. Because what comes out of me at three in the morning needs Jesus. Can I be that real? And it makes me think, especially in our Western culture, how little does it really take for us to doubt all that God has done in our life? How little does it take for us to think that our hardship is the end of it for us? How little does it take for us to think that what we're walking in can never, ever get better? How little does it take for us to turn our backs and think that the God we say we trust, we don't know if we really do, because why would a God ever allow these things in our life? I look at somebody like my friend, Karen, who has lost a child, and I think, girl, everything you are thinking, there is so much grace for that because it only takes this for me to think, why, God? Are we being steadfast and unmoved by things around us to fulfill the greatest calling in our life of knowing God and making him known? Are we being unmoved? Have we gotten weaker as believers that it just takes so little for us to sway with current trend and and think like the culture thinks or or, uh, feel so burdened by something so little? I just got back from Israel last week, and though, you know, by no means is that a third world country, but it just, they do have less than we do here in our Western America. And you, all you have to be is exposed to another culture to realize how easy we have it here. In general, the hardships that other countries face are different than what we face. And yet sometimes it's just stepping on a Lego at 3 in the morning brings us to our knees. we got to be more steadfast 
We have to be stronger. So how can Paul then say this in 2 Corinthians? This is what he says. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. How can he say that? I find that Christianity is so full of paradoxes. I find it so interesting because Christ asks us to live different than what would seem natural. So I'm going to say a few of these paradoxes and see if you can fill in the blank. The last shall be, that's a paradox, the last shall be first. Death to self yields life. We are made great by becoming small. We are made free when we Surrender. Freedom comes in surrender? That's a paradox. We conquer by yielding. These are all the paradoxes of our Christian faith. It goes against what would be natural for us. So for us to even understand that kind of living, we must have the mind of Christ. On our own, apart from Christ, we offer the world nothing. On our own, we offer the world nothing. So earlier, when I mentioned to you that I wanted the Holy Spirit to be bringing up in your, in your mind or heart some of the things you might have brought in here, and I called it the end is near. It's my end is near segment. And I just want to ask you today, would you be willing... Remembering that a couple of things, having the mind of Christ is a gift. It is a divine, supernatural gift you are given. But second, remembering that you must be born again to receive it. And third, the Holy Spirit shows his love toward us because he comes and fills us and empowers us. That's how we have the mind of Christ. And so I want to ask you, when you're thinking about these things that you brought in, and I'm asking you about transforming your thinking, would you be willing to say that the end is near for the rejection that you've been holding? Let me change this from the end is near to the end is here. The end is here of the betrayal that you've been holding on to. The end is here of the hurt. The self-hatred ends today the insecurity and the depression that you've been holding on to ends today. You are enough and you are loved unconditionally. The bondage to sin and the sin you cannot break free from, that ends today. The end is here. Would you be willing to leave that here today at this altar? Because what happens when you do, one of two things, if you have not yet ever committed your life and surrendered your life to the Lord, we have to start there. So I would say anybody who has never been born again, has never asked the Lord into their life and surrendered all of their heart to him, that's where we would begin in having the mind of Christ. We would begin there. But if you have, then we would move over and we would say, Holy Spirit, indwell us, empower us to make the hard decision 
to let go of the things that have so easily entangled us. So I just want to ask, I want to have some ministry time where the Holy Spirit does the work. So there's no, uh, I don't have to coerce you into coming. He's, he's here, and today he had a mission when he came here. Every person here is here for a reason. There was something in this message you needed to hear. And the freedom is for the taking. So if you are willing and want this freedom, I want to have time where we do that this morning. I love this scripture in Ephesians that says, you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. He loves you so much. He loves you so much and I will never quite understand some of the suffering that we endure on this earth. It doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel right. But what I do know is when we commit our heart and we submit our mind to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we can walk on this earth unscathed by the world around us, by the hurt around us. So as he plays... I just want to have a time of prayer. And I don't know, do we have altar ministers or do we have prayer? If we have anybody like that that wants to pray, but, but also I want you to know. I want you to do what you feel you can, you can do at this time. This is a very safe place. We're all family. I know you may not know me that well, but I hope you sense my love for you. I hope you sense the deep, deep love I have for each one of you, that you would be free in Christ today. That anything that has held too tightly, that you would release and let go. It is a gift that he's giving you today, that you can walk out of here with the mind of Christ to see life just a little differently than the world does. That's a gift. Do you understand? We live in a crazy world, totally turned upside down. And we get the gift of seeing with spiritual eyes. And knowing with a spiritual mind. And loving with a spiritual heart. And that is a gift. Father, God, I just ask today that you would do the work you had already set in motion before we ever gathered here today. You see every heart here. You've been in their tears You've been in their questions. You've been next to them, holding them every step of the way. And we are so thankful that you give us the gift to know you intimately, to know your heart, to know your mind. And we ask right now that you would propel people's hearts to want to lay down whatever has been holding them back from surrendering their heart and mind to you. The idea that they could walk out of here free, let that be compelling to them, God. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on social media at Embassy Irving.